Okay. Um, all right, so let's get started here. We're coming up now to Rosh Hashanah, so I figured instead of um, doing the Rashbam, uh, we would do a topic related to Rosh Hashanah for this week. Probably have one more week on the Rashbam, hopefully. Um, and then we will call it a year. What is the nature of Rosh Hashanah? I think most people grew up. Rosh Hashanah is Yom Adin. Rosh Hashanah, you know, it's the beginning of the Seris Tshuva. Rosh Hashanah is a time when we have to um, start thinking about our sins. We have to do... Uh, have to make amends, as it were, on a year um, that maybe we didn't live up to par as maybe we would have wished to as much as we could have. Rosh Hashanah is a time when that really, we had a whole Elul, but now it becomes that much more urgent. And now we have 10 more days before Yom Kippur, but it really gets very shrill. And then if you're a Kabbalist, you're mystically inclined, you're a chassid, you have until Aishana Rabbah. Then if you're even more mystically inclined, you have until Chanukah. So you have a long time to do tshuva, but Rosh Hashanah is when it, it gets really real. The problem with this is, is that it's not correct in any sort of historical way. And the reason that we, we can say that with confidence is the following. If we look at the... Torah, we know the following. There's a common misconception that people make, and that is that Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Shemayim how many times? He went up to Shemayim two times for 40 days and 40 nights when he didn't eat or uh, drink or sleep. Um, and he was studying Torah as it were with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's a misconception. Because actually, Meshur Benin went up for 40 days and 40 nights three times. The first time was on Vav Sivan, right after, after the giving of the Torah on Har Sinai. Meshur Rabbeinu goes up for 40 days and 40 nights. When does he come down? He comes down on Yud Zion, right? The 17th day of Tammuz. And what does he see? He sees the B'nai Yisrael, they're not behaving very well. They're dancing around golden calves. So what does Meshach Rabbeinu do? He breaks the Luchais and he goes back up. Another 40 days and 40 nights, the Davin Takarosh Baruch to forgive the Jewish people. When does he come back down? He comes back down on the 28th day of Av. He comes back down on the 28th day of Av and he, he has permission um, to to craft a new set of luchais. That's the second tablet. And he goes and he does that. That's what Meshur Benin goes out and does. And he goes back up then for another 40 days and 40 nights. And when does he come down for that third time? He comes down on 10th day of Tishrei on Yom Kippur. Where does Rosh Hashanah fall into this saga? Nowhere. Rosh Hashanah is merely one of the 40 days that Meshach Rabbeinu was up in heaven. The Aseris Yimei is not something 
that is ancient. It's not something that you're going to find in the Torah at all. The idea that Rosh Hashanah is connected to Yom Kippur is not obvious from Chumash. It's not obvious from Tanakh. Rosh Hashanah is clearly engaged in its own cycle. Yom Kippur, we understand the cycles, three day, times, 40 days and 40 nights, starting on Vav Sivan, ending on Yod Tishrei. And that's a cycle of forgiveness that has to do with the ego. It has nothing to do it has nothing to do with Rosh Hashanah. So from then in Kumtas, where does it come idea that in Rosh Hashanah, it's all about Shuvah. It's the beginning that Saras made Shuvah. We have to start doing all these things related to Shuvah, to Yem Adin. And clearly, looking at the liturgy that we have in Rosh Hashanah, it bespeaks the idea that we're not dealing with Shuvah. That what we're doing in Rosh Hashanah has nothing to do with what we would do on Yom Kippur. Look carefully at Rosh Hashanah. You'll see that you don't say Achet. You don't say Vido. You don't say the Hashem. You don't say that. In fact, many people, uh, when they say, Avinu Malkenu Chotanu Fanecha, either they don't say it, they don't certainly clap Achet on that. Rosh Hashanah is a conspicuously absent from having anything to do with Shuvah. There's nothing in the older strata of the tzfilis on Rosh Hashanah that has anything to do with tshuva. In fact, the only elements of tshuva that you're going to see in the Rosh Hashanah tzfilis are piyutim that are written hundreds of years after Chazal, thousands of years after Chazal, but not from the times of Chazal themselves. And this is very important to understand that in Rosh Hashanah, in the eyes of Chazal, is not necessarily the Rosh Hashanah that we have today. And so what I want to do is uncover, attempt to uncover, the Rosh Hashanah on its most basic level. The Rosh Hashanah as close to, as pshat as we could get. And in uncovering that elemental Rosh Hashanah, I think it'll open up as to how it developed and how it evolved to what it is today. And where we get to where today people associate Rosh Hashanah entirely with Yom Kippur entirely as part of the month plus of tshuva that we have every year. So in order to do that, we have to really start at the beginning. And the Torah mentions to us Rosh Hashanah a few times, a couple of times in Chumash, and a couple of times in, in Ezra and Echem, a couple of times in Ksuvim. So I wanted to run through a couple of those, of those psukim. The first, is in Parshas Emar and Parshas Vayikra. The Pasuk tells us the following. Shem says to Meishu Rabbeinu, Davra B'nei Yisrael Emar, tell the Jewish people the following. Tell them, Achedesh HaShavii Be'achod HaChedesh, in the seventh month, on the first day of the seventh month, right, what we call today Tishrei. The Torah, of course, didn't have names for months. The names for months that we have are by and large pagan, and they are a vestige, a legacy from our sojourn, our Golas in, in Bavel. The Torah refers to the months. Sometimes it has a name like Aviv, but it doesn't have any of the names that we are typically using today. So, on the first day of the seventh month, it should be like a Sabbath day. It should be like a day of rest. 
And what else? Zichrain Terua Mikra Kodesh. You should call the day holy. And it's a Zichrain Terua. What does it mean, a Zichrain Terua? This is going to be our question tonight. It's a remembrance of a Terua. What does it mean, a remembrance of a Terua? Again, this is something we're going to have to um, analyze. And that'll be our job, our task tonight, to figure out what it means, a Zichrain Terua. When the puzzle continues, that this is a Sabbath type of day, you're not allowed to do any work. And you have to bring karbonas to your craft of Misha Lashem. That's what we learn in Parshas Emar. The other place the Torah mentions it is, of course, later on in Parshas Pinchas, where the Torah tells us the following. On the seventh day, on the first day of the seventh month, Mikra Kaidesh Yelochem. It should be called Kaidesh for you, similar to what we just saw in Parshas Emar. No different, correct? And then the Pasuk continues. You shouldn't do any work. It should be a day of Trua for you. You should bring various carbonas, etc. So we call it a Yom Trua, day of Trua. So in Parshas Emar, we called it. Zechrain Trua in Parshas in, in, in Parshas Pinchas we call it a Yom Trua this is the only mention of the Yantif of Rosh Hashanah in the Torah that's the first thing to take away second thing to take away is all of the other Yom Tevim right that we mentioned the, 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 the Yantif of Pesach, of Shavuos, of Sukkot, of Yom Kippur, all of these Yom Tevim, they are all mentioned in context of something, something that occurred with these Yom Tevim. There's a historical connection with these Yom Tevim. For example, by Pesach, we make it very clear that you're doing Pesach, why? About all about Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Why are we doing Shavuos? Torah tells you it's an agricultural festival. From the Chumash, it's not clear as anything with Mantara, but that's Chazal say. But clearly, if you count out the days from when they left Mitzrayim to when they accepted the Torah, we're talking about the same month. So that's where Chazal get it from the idea of connecting for sure the Shavuos to, to Mantara. But in the Torah itself, it's connected to agriculture, agricultural harvesting, right? Sugis, Zechaga Asif, Tkuvas Hashana. The Torah says specifically in Parshas Emar, Nikibasukai Sashavti Es Bnei Israel, I took you out. You resided in Sukkot when, when you traveled in the desert. Yem Kippur, Es Kibayem Azei Chapra, Lechem Atar, Eschem Ikilchat Esechem, Ofnei Hashem Tataru. Is that it's something to do with kapar? Again, in the Chumash, it's not clear that the three to 40 day cycles, you have to put it together as Chazal do. But it's very clear from each mention of the 40 days that it's starting on, on the Vav Sivan, right? That's how you can work it all backwards, how you get to your Tishrei. And that's how you get to understand what Yom Kippur is about, what's connected um, um, the, the three 40 day cycle. So we understand each one of the Yom Tevim that are mentioned in the Torah are mentioned with a reason, with a cause. We understand what it relates to. 
What does Rosh Hashanah relate to? If we're telling you that Rosh Hashanah is not because of the fact that what? Because of the fact that it's part of Aser Semejuva. If we're saying that Rosh Hashanah is not because it's a beginning of the of the Chuva cycle, it's when it's getting real after the month of Elul. Okay, great. So give me some other reason. All what we're doing now is mentioning that the question gets even stronger because every other Yantif in Chumash is giving you a historical context. It's giving you a background. It's explaining to you why you were celebrating the holiday. We understand the historical context of each of the holidays. What we don't understand is what is the connection of Rosh Hashanah to anything that happened in our history. We don't understand what's the source and what's the reason for Rosh Hashanah. Because the Torah doesn't give us any reason. It doesn't give us any source. It doesn't make any mention of why we're doing it. It just says, this is what it is. It's Yom Teruah or it's Yom Zichon Teruah. So we're kind of left wondering what exactly is going on when it comes to the first day of Tishrei. So all we get from the Torah is that it's a day you can't do Malacha. It's a holy day. It's a day you bring Karbanas. And it's a day that has something to do with the Teruah or the remembrance of a Teruah. That's all we get from Chumash. However, when we open up, when we open up Tanakh, so there's nothing about it in the Vim, but in Ksuvim, we have two mentions of Rosh Hashanah. The first mention is in Nehemiah. In Nehemiah, we have the following mention. So the Pasuk tells us the following. So we have to give a two-second background. What happened is the Jewish people, it's very difficult chronologically to understand exactly when Ezra and Nehemiah are. I'm not going to attempt to do that right now. But this has something to do after the exile of the Jewish people, after the first temple was destroyed. The Jewish people have been given permission to come back by Keresh, by Cyrus the Great, the Cyrus Cylinder. We are allowed to come back. The Jews come back and try to make a go of it. It doesn't end up working out very well. It ends up they make a real go of it only when Ezra and Nehemiah are there. Now, we say, Chazal tells us that Ezra was unbelievable, so unbelievable, like Imamish, akin to like a Meshur Rabbeinu in terms of restoring the Torah to the Jewish people. These are great, great people who are dealing with a Jewish nation that is rusty. Think of the Soviet Union, the Jewish people coming to Israel after 70 years under godless communism, what they had to go through and what the people in Israel who welcomed them in had to teach them. These are people who are now third generation or, 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 or um, second generation, but who had literally no understanding of anything. They barely knew anything. All the rituals, all the history, all the liturgy was simply lost. These are people ignoramus. All they knew is that they were stamped on their passport, that they were a Jew. But they didn't know much more. They knew that being a Jew was bad. Being a Jew was troubling. Troubling to the regime. Troubling to passers-by. But they didn't know substantively what it means to be Jew. So, in a sense, this is what Ezra and Nehemiah are dealing with as well. They're dealing with people who are by and large intermarried. They're dealing with people who are by and large not observing the commandments. But we know that the elite of the time, 
the elite of the people who lived in the land of Babel and Babylon, they did not return with Ezra. And the Chemah did not return when the permission was given by Keresh. That's why the Levim were punished to be taken away from them, part of their tithes that they were entitled to. It was a punishment because they didn't come back. The elite of the Jewish people were more comfortable staying in Babel. They didn't come back with the Jewish people. Who came back? Like every exile, the dregs, the lower classes. Chazal tell us the same thing happened in the first in the first Yitzia, Yitzias Mitzrayim, right? Only a fifth of the Jewish people left Egypt. Four fifths died in Egypt. Who were the four fifths? The elite, the people who figured out how to make a monetary gain out of the out of the Makas. They figured out how to leverage the misery of the Egyptians into financial gain for themselves. And for them, why should they leave? Life is fantastic. It's only getting better. The same thing they say would happen at the end of our Golas. God forbid. So the idea that the Jewish people always return when there's a Golas is certainly not something that is historically borne out. The, um, there's a very, very scary reshine. I forget who it is right now. Um, maybe it's the Iran. It's some, it's some reshine in Germany who says the following very terrifying lines. It's brought down in the Eim Abonim Smecha. The Eim Abonim Smecha was written by Rabbi Teichtal. Hashem Yenakim Dame, who was killed on a train to Auschwitz at the end of World War II on a train going from Budapest to Auschwitz. Um, he, he writes in the book that he saw in the Sefer that when they were coming to build the second Mesa Mikdash, they invited the Jews who were living in Germany to come back, to make Aliyah. And they said, no, we're not coming back. We have a new Jerusalem that we're building here in Berlin or whatever the city was over the Rhine. We're not coming back. And that, that Rishon said that forevermore, Germany is going to be a place of terror and hardship for the Jewish people. In a similar way, right, we're going to have in Parshas Lech Lecha, the Ramban says very unbelievably, right, that when it came to Yishmael, because of the fact that Abraham Avinu allowed Sarah to mistreat Hagar, and she really, really mistreated her, the Pazik says that v'hisani tachas yodel, you can, you can go make her life miserable, and in fact she did, but she runs away, Hagar is having such a miserable time, so she ran away, the Ramban says very terrifyingly that what? Because of the way that Sari man treated Hagar, her descendants are going to have enmity to the Jewish people. And that's why the Bnei Shmo are forevermore never going to be able to live peacefully, peaceably with us. Anyhow, that was a long tangent, but my point is that when it comes to Ezra and Nehemiah, they're dealing with a Jewish people that is broken. They're dealing with the Jewish people that is not knowledgeable. They're dealing with the Jewish people that really need to be spoon-fed the very basics of their religion. Again, only 70 years, just like communism. A very short while is more than long enough to forget all of the reasons about what it means to be a Yid. So the Pasuk tells us that the Kahanim and the Levim and the Shayam and the Mesherim and the Amman, everybody's gathered 
the Jewish people in the seventh month were in the cities. They all gathered together on the street in Yerushalayim. They're all gathered in their uh, in this central location near the, near the, the the water gate. And they said to Ezra, to bring this Sefer Torah. What are they going to do with the Sefer Torah? He brings the Sefer Torah in front of the crowd. Everyone, anyone can understand, whether it's a man or a woman, anyone can understand should come to hear this Torah reading. This is not Hakel. This is a Torah reading that takes place in the beginning of the seventh month on Rosh Hashanah. What does he do? He reads it on the street. He reads the Sefer Torah. In front of the water gate. He reads it from the morning until Chatzais. This is where the Indian is. You know, not to be marking its feel on Rosh Hashanah. You know, too long to go past Chatzais. I assume it comes from here. So he read the Torah to these people, to the crowds gathered all morning. To the women, the men, and anybody who also understood. And the ears of all the people were turned to listen to the reading of the Torah. And the puzzle continues various things, and then it says the following. After all the reading, after they just spent the whole morning reading to the, the, the crowd that's gathered outside the water gate, who I've mentioned are people who are not, you know, they're not the, from the finer mentions, they're not from the most uh, elite of the people. Many of them are not married to Jews, many of them are people who are very ignorant in terms of the religion. They say to them the following, Ayayim Kadeshu, this day is holy. Stop crying. Stop being an Avel. Because the people were all crying when they heard what they were being read to. Obviously, what was he reading? He was presumably reading various different from the Teichachas of, of, of Devarim, all the words of rebuke of Meshur Abenu. That's what Chazal understand he was reading to them. He wasn't reading, you know, the, the stories in Bereshis or the laws of sacrifices in Vayikra. He was reading to them the Musr, the Musr about behaving. And so the people are crying. And the Ezra and the Chemia, the Kahana, everybody gets up and says, stop crying. Stop crying. It's not a day to cry. It's not a day to have a Velas. Right, sounds like one of the Zmiris, right? They say, go eat, go eat good food. It sounds like Purim now, right? Go send presents. To those who haven't yet prepared for Yantav. This day is Kaddish to Hashem. And don't be sad. You know what your strength is? The fact that Hashem finds you beloved, the fact that Hashem desires you, and the, the Leviim are machshim l'chala'am. They keep on telling the people to shh. Because the people are crying. They say to them, stop being upset. Today's a holy day. Today's a day to eat good food. Today's a day to send presents to your friends who didn't have a chance to prepare. And everybody goes home. Everybody goes home. They eat. They drink. They send shahachmanas, 
and they make a simcha gedayla. They make a great simcha on this Rosh Hashanah. The first Rosh Hashanah that we have recorded how it's celebrated in Tanakh. They understood what they were told. And here's something very fascinating. The Pasuk continues, on the second day, which proves to us, you know how the Gemara Rosh Hashanah tells us, and Rosh Hashanah is two days. It's a Yom It's like considered one long day, unlike other Yom which have two days mistake of the Yema. Rosh Hashanah, we don't even have it to throw. It's not mistake of the Yema. You still do two days. And over here, at the time of Ezra Nechem, it says, Vayem Hashani. On the second day, Nets Rosh they gather together all the heads of the people. And they again, they studied more Torah. And they found that what it says, in the Torah, they found that they have to keep the Yantar of Sukkot, and so they, they ended up doing that. So they were learning, obviously, um, uh, they were obviously learning either Hakel, you know, in Pashas Vayelach, where they were learning, uh, we mentioned Sukkot, where they were learning, you know, from Re'eh, or maybe they were learning back, you know, back to Pinchas, and I'm not sure how far back they went. But what do we see from this celebration of Rosh Hashanah? We see from this celebration of Rosh Hashanah a day that's happy, a day of Simcha Gedela, a day of Shalach Manas, a day of eating and drinking. Doesn't sound like the day of Rosh Hashanah that we have today. Doesn't sound like a day of fasting and crying and doing tshuva. In fact, the God and Levim, Ezra and Echem, they repeatedly tell the people, stop it. Stop crying. Stop being sad. Today's a happy day. Today's a holy day. But clearly, there were many people who felt very sad. They were doing shuva. So it sort of makes sense when you come to a shul, right? When you walk in, in the middle of a davening on Rosh Hashanah, you see some people are sad. Some people are happy. Some people crying. Some people seem like, you know, they're, they, 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 uh, they're in the midst of, you know, some real big al moments, even if we're not saying al you can see all the different emotions here were existing already in the times of Ezra Nehemiah. In Ezra, again, we have another picture of the Rosh Hashanah. Now there it says, Again, the same idea that the seventh month, the Jews were in the cities. Everybody came to Yerushalayim. And what do they do? They built a Mizbeach to bring various karbonas, like it says in the Pesukim, which we learned. It says in the Pesukim, in Parshas, um, in Parshas Pinchas, that you bring various different carbonates. And what did they do? The Pesuk says that they prepared the Mizbeach and they brought all the oilers, la Hashem, all the way the whole day they were bringing it. And then in the Chag HaSukais, that they did that the, on the 15th day of the month. So the Pesuk concludes, it says, They started already doing this even before the Beis HaMikdash was done. They already started solving the other Hashanah. And those are the two examples of where we have the Yantif of Rosh Hashanah in terms of how it's celebrated, mentioned in Tanakh. And how do we see it being celebrated? We see it being celebrated in a way that seems very different than the way we celebrate it. So let's talk for a second about how Chazal understood that we should celebrate, or let me rephrase that. How did Chazal understand the Yantif of Rosh Hashanah? On its deepest level, 
without getting into the piyutim that are written a thousand years after Chazal. How did Chazal understand Rosh Hashanah? What did they call Rosh Hashanah as probably the gateway to understanding how Chazal saw Rosh Hashanah? And the answer is, they called it the Yom Hazikaron. Right? We say in the in the Yalav Yavai, right? what do we say? We say, What do we say in the, in the Kiddush? What do we say um, in the Haftarah? We constantly say, what do we say in the Malchias, on the Zechreinus, uh, um, on the uh, on the Davening? We're constantly calling Rosh Hashanah the day of Zikarin, which is the day of memory, the day of, of, of remembering, the day of remembrance. That's how Chazal referred to Rosh Hashanah. And as you know, they say that the name of something is a reference to something underlying. Right? There's a famous Gemara. Right? The Gemara says about Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir was, that's actually Gemara in Yuma, so it's time to get Saitan. The Gemara tells us that Rabbi Meir was going on the path with the two other rabbis, and they reach an inn, and the, the man who's there um, is actually from two weeks from now, Parsha. His name was Kidar. Kidar. And Rabbi Meir was Darshan B'Shemes. He used to Darshan the name of something. But when you give something a name, an appellation, it's, you have a point. You're doing it for a reason. When you give something a name, there's something inherently significant about the thing that the name is referring to. So Rabbi Meir refuses to give his money to Kidar, the innkeeper. Why? Because the Pesach says in Parashat Hazinu, Kidar Tapucha is Hema. Right? It's an upside-down generation. So his name is Kidar, even though on the Torah it's two words, Kidar Tapucha is. He says, no, I'm not giving this guy any money. So he keeps, he keeps his money with him, and he goes and he puts his purse in the cemetery next to some random headstone. But the other two rabbis who were with him, and I'm forgetting their names right now, they, they give their money pouches to the innkeeper. The next morning on Shabbos day, the innkeeper says, yeah, I had a crazy chalai. I had a big dream last night that my father came to me in a dream, and he said, there's money sitting in the cemetery right next to me. Should I go to the cemetery to go check it out? So Mary says to him, you're going to be you're going to pay attention to dreams. Dreams are a waste of time. You know, the Gemara says in Brachas that every dream is like a, a stupidity. Whatever you thought about during the day, that's a, dreams are just a waste of time. Nah, don't, don't take it too seriously. But he was worried about the innkeeper. So he runs middle shops. What does that tell us? Not every mayor. Or whose money was it that he had to be so careful of? But during Shabbos, Rabbi Mayor sits the entire Shabbos at this cemetery watching his money pouch. So my third Shabbos, when he could take it, comes Sunday morning, the, the, the rabbis are getting ready to go on their way, and the other two rabbis ask Kedar for the money. And Kedar says, what do you mean? He never gave me a dollar. What are you talking about? And they're beside themselves. What do you mean? We gave you all this money. How did you abscond with it? You cheater. You're a liar. Well, the short of it is that the rabbis come up with a trick 
is a very interesting question halacha about whether or not this trick is permitted. They go to Kidar and they follow him around like all that. They see that he has eaten lentils for lunch. They come home to the wife and they say to the wife, your husband Kidar said you should give us the money pouches from us. And she looked at them very suspicious. What are you talking about? What money pouches? He says the hint is that he had lentils for lunch. This is the sign that he wants you to give us back the money pouch. Oh, okay. Yeah. He did say that. He did have mantles for lunch. So she goes and gives him the money pouches. And the rabbis escape. When he comes home, he sees the money's gone. He asks his wife, What happened? She says, What do you mean? He told me. He told me to give them the money. Said, what are you talking about? He says, Yeah, they came and they said, The sign is that you ate lentils for lunch. And I know you had lentils for lunch because I gave it to you. So he kills her. The, the place can talk about whether or not in such a story this is justifiable action. It's not a topic for right now. Whether or not the rabbis were allowed to lie in order to be able, were they able to be done Dinlan Afshay like this in order to be able to get back the money pouch that was incorrectly stolen. One of the halachas that is learned out of this story is the idea of doing Maya Machrenim because if he would have done Maya Machrenim correctly and he would have wiped up his mustache, he wouldn't have had any more lentils on his mustache, it wouldn't have been visible, and the rabbis wouldn't have had their sign. But anyhow, at the end of the story, the other two rabbis ask Rabbi Meir, how come you weren't nichshel in giving this guy money, which he's not a trustworthy person? How did you know how to avoid that? They said, I'm done, b'shemis. His name was Kidar, the puzzle of Kidar Tapuches Hema. I, I didn't sound like a good guy to give money to. So they, so they said, oh, you know, why don't you tell us then? If you have such a big insight, you're such a wise man, that you know how to dash from the shameless, so why don't you tell us? Instead, we have to give this whole problem. And maybe they knew the person that had already been killed, who knows? He says, listen, for myself, I can do this. Uh, to tell you, that's already, that's already, you know, starting to be I, I, I can't do that just on the basis of a name. For me, I can do it, but I can't go around telling people, don't trust this guy, don't trust that guy because of his name. So anyhow, going back to our point here, if Chazal gave the name of Rosh Hashanah as the Yema Zikaran, there's something about Zikaran that we need to be thinking about. Clearly, this day in the eyes of Chazal has to do with memory. It has to do with memory. Now, where did Chazal get that from? Where did they get the idea that the day of Rosh Hashanah, the day of the first day of Tishrei, has to do with memory. Now, clearly, they saw the word in Parshas, Emar of Zichrein Trua, a day that has a memory of a Trua. Obviously, that's something. What I'd like to suggest to you now is that there's something more. There's something more that, that Chazal um, saw here. In order to do that, we have to go to Parshas Baalai's In Parshas Baalai's we have something very interesting. The Torah tells us that the Jewish people would go traveling. This is before the 40 years. So this is a very interesting little Parsha. Because the Torah is giving you a, what the travel rules and regulations would be. 
although they would only presumably be traveling for a very short period of time, right? Because they're going to be about to go on terrorist Israel. It's before Pasha Shlach. But in the end, of course, for 40 years, they have to keep to this traveling gig because they end up staying for a lot longer. So the Pasha tells us the following. Hashem tells Meishu Rabbeinu to make two chatzotres. Make two, um, like these trumpets. And you should make them out of silver. And you know you're going to use them for you're going to use it to call the people and you're going to use it when you travel. You're going to blow. It's like a horn. It's like a siren. You know, it tells, it tells the people what to do. And there's different kinds of ways to blow. When you make a tekiah, then everyone's going to know to come to the Almayat to make one tekiah. If you make, and then that, that's if you make uh, from both of the chatzaytzrois. Then go, and if you only blow from one of the chatzaytzrois, then only the nestiim are going to come to the elamayim. Then we say, oh, that's kias, but it's gotten trua. But when you blow a trua, then what? The Then the machanos on the eastern side are going to travel. And then if you blow another trua. Then, then the, the next machna, Taman, is going to go. And essentially, you're going to be blowing truas when you travel. You're going to be blowing tekiahs when you want to gather the people to come to the Mishkan. That's what the Pasuk tells us. And the Pasuk continues, right? When you bring the people together, you make a tekiah, you don't make a trua. Trua is for going, for traveling. Tekiah is for gathering. Then the Pasuk continues. And it says the following. If you're going to have a war, somebody's coming to attack the Jewish people. So what do you do? You blow on the Chatzot. How do you blow on the Chatzot? You should make a trua on the Chatzot. And what happens when you make a trua on the Chatzot? And you're going to be remembered before Hashem your God. So if you're having a situation of danger, you're having a situation where the Jewish people are being attacked, blow a trua. Blow a trua. And then you'll be remembered before Hashem. And Hashem will save you from your enemies. Then the passage continues, the last passage in that parasha there. On your happy days, on your holidays, and on your first of the month, on your Rosh Chodeshes, then what do you do? Blow a tkia on the on these chatzotres, on your various karbonas, on your various karbonas that you're bringing. And it's going to be remembering for you before HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So, as I mentioned already before, the Torah doesn't tell us why it's called Rosh Hashanah. The Ramban, Nikol Kisver, the Ramban, in his Rosh Hashanah, the Ramban says, the Ramban asked the following question. He says, The Torah tells us in Rosh Hashanah, you have to make a Mikra Kodesh. You have to make it a holy day. You have to make it a Yantiv. 
The light pirish lama. The Torah doesn't say why. The alma. Why we're doing it? Every other yantif. We're explaining why we're doing it. The reason, the nature of the yantif. I think now, by looking at Paris Baloyska, we get a clue. We get a hint. And it's a hint that I love. It's an intertextual hint. That is to say, the Torah is being made on itself. Just connect what we learn about the Chatzotzois, how they operate, to what we do on to what we do on Rosh Hashanah. Namely, that when we blow the Chatzotzois, we blow Tkiyas, we blow Truas. They have different meanings. Some mean to gather the people. Some mean to have the people travel. Some means the time of danger. Some means the time of happiness. Everything depends. But one thing is clear and is a commonality, which is that when you blow these various different sounds, then you'll be remembered before HaKadosh Baruch. So I think with this, we can start having a little bit of an understanding as to why it's called the Yerim Azikaram. Because we're mentioning that the day is a day of Yerim Trua. That's what we call it in Parshat Pinchas. We mentioned that what happens in Rosh Hashanah? It's a day of what? It's a day of Yerim Zichra and Trua. It's a day of blowing a Trua sound, which in the Torah says that when you blow a Trua sound, you remember it before HaKadosh Baruch so we can start to see, I think, a semblance and an inkling of why Chazal see in Rosh Hashanah and its most basic and its most primal level it's a day of memory. Because when you blow truas, you remember the Far Kaddish Baruch. And remember, the Torah said to us that you blow truas when you blow truas. When you blow truas, when did you blow true? The Pasuk Balaiska told us that what? It's a time of danger. It wasn't lost on Chazal. That if we're blowing a trua, if the day is being defined as a trua, that this day is a day that's tinged with something more than just pure unadulterated happiness. There's a sense of urgency here. There's a sense of nervousness here. There's not a war per se, but you're blowing a trua. The terrorist calling it a trua. Yes, we have to blow tkiyas to surround truas, but we're calling it with the day. We're defining it in Chumash as a day of trua. Trua remembers you before HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but trua is also used at a time that is what? That is the time of danger. It's a time, it's a time of urgency. And so that's where, presumably, Chazal get the understanding of what we're talking about in Rosh Hashanah is not just blowing something that makes it true, but it has some deeper understanding. It's something to do with being remembered for our Kodesh Baruch Hu. And it has something to do with Din. It has something to do with a sense of urgency. Because even if there's no enemy, there is the proverbial enemy, right? In Chazal, it's like an agar Right, who's coming against us? Right, it's a satan that is so central to the understanding 
of how we're trying to confuse him on Rosh Hashanah. We're trying to make against the Jewish people. So I want to take it one more step. And that is, if you have a good kasha, you look at Paris of Allah, what is it talking about? It's not talking about Shafer. So why are we blowing Shafer on Rosh Hashanah? In other words, it could very well be when the Torah says, why are we blowing with a shaver? The Torah doesn't say the implement that you have to use to get the true out. Use the shaver, use a shaver. No, use a chatzaitris. Why are we using a true? Why are we using a shaver? It's a good question. No. Hmm. Like the trumpet, like a like a. So it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strong question. The Torah doesn't say it's a shape. So on this, we can have a few answers. I'll give you first the answer of Chazal, which is an easy answer. The answer of Chazal, the Marsh Hashanah, tells us, we have a Pasuk, right? So far, we're good. Yes, we're clear. The Pasuk tells us, Tiku b'achay de shefer b'kesel yim chagin. Tiku b'achay de shefer. Blow, right? Tikkun doesn't necessarily have to mean to blow a chur, or yeah, it could be both. In Chumash, it's pretty clear, but in, in, in the Navi, it's not, in Ksuv, it's not so clear. It's used interchangeably. Tikkun ba'chaydash shefer, you should blow on the chaydash. You should blow a shefer. And remember, you remember that it's not talking about what? Because you could say, well, ba'chaydash means, maybe it means, um, you could challenge the, the, the Gemara. You could say ba'chaydash means I'm Rosh Chaydash, right? It means Rosh Chaydesh. No, would be the answer. Why? Because what are the Tarasim Pires about Laiska? You should blow, but what should you blow? Here we're not talking about Rosh Chaydesh on a regular month. Because here it says, Tiku Bachaydesh Shaifar. We're not talking about Chaydesh, it says Chaydesh, eh? And it says Shaifar, not Chaydesh. So clearly, it's not talking about Rosh Chaydesh. A regular Rosh Chaydesh. It's a good proof. Yes? So, Tiglu Bachaydesh Shafer Bachesel Yem Chagin. What does it mean, Bachesel? Because I'll explain. Bachesel means covered. What's covered? The Chag is covered. What's covered? The moon is covered. Which Yantav is the moon that's covered that you would be blowing? It's only one moon, uh, one Yantav that's by the close of the moon. Why? Because the three main, the, 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 the three main festivals, Rosh Hashanah, uh, um, sorry, Pesach, she wasn't so So Pesach and Tzogas on the 15th when the moon's at its biggest, right? It's the middle of the of the month. And and Rosh Hashanah, I'm sorry, and Kippur is on the 10th when obviously it's still uh, pretty large. And even Shavuos is on the 6th. It's also relatively bigger. There's only one time when it's totally hidden and that's Rosh Hashanah. So that's how Chazal got to this idea that we must be talking about the implement to use to get the Trua, not the Chatzayit. We have to be using a shayf for it because of this puzzle that we have in puzzle we have in Tehillim. Okay. And what did the puzzle tell us there? The tells us, think about Chayda Shafer by Kesel Yem Chagainu. He chaykli Yisrael Hu. It's a law for the Jewish people. It's a judgment for the God of Jacob. And now you see how you get to Yermadin. Very simple how you jump. So again, we have it as in the Torah as a Yem Trua or Yem Zechon Trua. We have it as a sense that it is 
a day of blowing the truah or remembering the truah. We understand that on a, on a primal level, that has something to do with being remembered before our God is because of the fact that Torah tells us when you blow truas, you're going to be remembered before our God is We see from that a sense of urgency. We because that's when you do when you have a when you have a situation as dangerous, you have an enemy attacking. And we also see that this it can be done with a shafer from this plastic in that tells us specifically a shayfer, because we're not talking about the Rosh that we have Khatsaitis for Pazbala. Okay. But I would like to see if we could do one better, which is can we prove it without using the Gemara, without using Chazal? Can we prove it from Chumash itself? Right? From Chumash itself, I think we can prove it as well. And the, the Gemara says this already. Chazal already pointed out the Gemara Shantalta. Minayin Shebe Shafer. How do you know? How do you know that you use the Shafer? It's not clear. Not clear from the puzzle. We've already made it clear. It's not clear from the book. Says the Gemara there. Pasuk tells us you have to go to Parshat Behar. In Parshat Behar, we learn all about Yevil, all the rules of Shemitah and Yevil. And the Pasuk tells us over there, you blow a Shafer Chua. And if you look carefully at those Psukim over there, the Psukim over there tell us the following. The Psukim over there tell us that you make every seven years a shvius, a Shabbos Lashem, and you're not allowed to plant, and you're not allowed to do all this stuff. And then when you have seven times of that, then at the Avayta Shefer Trua Bacheresh Hashbi, then you blow, you pass the Shefer Trua. doesn't say blow, but the Avayta, you pass it, meaning blow it. You do that when? In the seventh month, the Osir Lachedesh, on the tenth of the month, on your Kippur, you, you, you pass the shafer around throughout the land. When you pass the shafer, you blow it. You blow the shafer throughout the land. So what is the Pasuk telling us? Is that by Yevil, you blow the shafer? True. If the shafer is called the shafer true, you blow a shafer true throughout the land of Israel every 50th year. The Jubilee year. Says the Gemara. But even without, you don't need Chazal. You can see it. That the Tyra itself is associating a shaver with a trua. It's calling it a shaver trua. So when the Tyra is telling you in Parshas Emar, and the Tyra is telling you in Parshas Pinchas, that you have a day, would you call this a yom trua? With what? Bimai. The shaver trua. The shaver is itself defined as a shaver trua. So in the sense, you don't even have to go to Tehillim. You can find that even the Torah is made on itself, that the Shafer is called the truth. Last citation for the night. This, I think, gives us one final detail. Again, we're trying to do a show where Chazal had, you know, we're gebite, all these ideas, right? We're not talking about Shuva and Avelis and, and stuff like this on, on, on Rosh Hashanah, but the idea. Now, Rosh Hashanah is a day of Yom Adin. It's a day. You're not doing tshuva. It's a din. It's a day of judgment for all the world. Today, we're, we're all, in a sense, we're aware. But everybody remembers the Torah, right? We're scared, right? But we're gilu berada. 
We're terrified, but we're also joyful because we know our Kaddish Baruch is going to save us. We're confident. We're, we're at a touch point. We're at a needle point of emotions on Rosh Hashanah. On the one hand, we're terrified because we know Jim I did. On the other hand, we're confident that we're going to be uh, absolved and have a good year. And so we celebrate that we have nice meals, festive meals. We eat and we drink. It's a knife point. We're on the needle point. We're on the, we're on the end of the needle in terms of how we behave in our shop. Where's the last place where we talk about a shepherd and Flemish? Of course, the positive Yisrael. In Pajas Yisrael, the Torah is telling us that it was a Kerl Shafer that was incredibly loud and blasting along. And Moshe Rabbeinu was talking, HaKadosh Baruch was answering with the Kerl Shafer, whatever that means. What does that tell us? That tells us that when you want to announce HaKadosh Baruch, when Hashem once came in front of the entirety of the Jewish people and announced his presence, it was announced to kill Shafer. So we can understand that this Shafer Trua that we're emulating, what we're touching on in terms of, but there's no historical moment. What are we doing? It didn't happen. The historical moment is the moment of Yem Adin. The historical moment is of HaKadosh Baruch Hu looking to Fikir Akash. Of HaKadosh Baruch Hu looking closely at all of us. Of, it's not a Ma'antera. But it is the closest point in the year at which HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as it were, whatever that means, is looking into each and every one of us, into each and every one of our actions. We're announcing that with a shaifar. It's terrifying. That's remember the days when you're going to have a war, you blow truth down. That's why this day is called the Yom Kippur. That's why it's called the Yom Kippur. And this, I think, is Rosh Hashanah at its most basic, which then opens up to explain and to see how Chazal found in all these hints that the Torah just uses without saying a word. The Torah doesn't connect any of this together. It simply keeps going, and you have to be aware. And Chazal were aware of these hints, and that's how they got the Yantif that we call today Rosh Hashanah. I want to wish everybody to see with Timot Teva, Bench the Yard, should be a year of Simchas and Nachas and good health and Karnasim for everybody in all Israel. Good job. Amen. Good job. Yeah, this is